The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Buckle up. The stocks rebound as trade comments ease the concerns of traders on Wall Street. That's right. U.S. stocks rebounded as President Donald Trump moved to reassure the markets that he's going to get a deal with China. We'll break all of that down. Plus, oil rises as drones strike Saudi pipeline and trade fears recede. So a lot of geopolitical moving parts today. Uh, And let's not forget about the Supreme Court because we really haven't talked much about that. But today we will. We have an all-star panel to do it. 2020 Democrats running for president warn about the expanding Supreme Court. What do conservatives have to say about that. Capri Cafaro is an executive in residence at American University. She's former Democratic minority leader in the Ohio Senate. Garrett Ventry. Garrett Ventry is former spokesman for Senator Chuck Grassley and the Senate Judiciary Committee. He's here with us in studio as well, his first time on the program. Congresswoman Debbie Dingell is going to call in, Democrat from Michigan. She's going to talk trade. And we'll also ask her about how it's uh, escalating into her state in 2020. And then we're going to check in with Mike Davis. He is former chief counsel for nominations for the Senate Judiciary Committee during Gorsuch Gorsuch and uh, Kavanaugh. So he's had a busy, busy year. Uh, He's also a former senior advisor to Grassley. It's Iowa Day here with me in studio. We've got Capri Cafaro. She is an executive in residence at... American University. She's former Democratic Minority Leader for the Ohio Senate. Garrett Ventry, first time on the program. Garrett, welcome. Thanks, Kevin. He's the former spokesman to Senator Chuck Grassley's Senate Judiciary Committee. We're going to get to judicial matters uh, coming up on in the show, especially with the Supreme Court. But Capri, I mean, the markets just this week have been up and down. It's like being on a roller coaster. Do you think folks need to uh, take a deep breath, maybe? I think that this is the greatest game of economic chicken that we're going to see uh, anytime soon. I mean, look, you know, you have this tit for tat. You have, what, $60 billion uh, uh, coming out of China. As far as tariffs are concerned, you have a list of, I think it's 147 pages coming out of USTR um, for the number of goods that uh, the United States is looking to uh, place tariffs on from China. And so I think the real question is who is going to pay the price? Um, literally and figuratively for these tariffs that are going to be levied. Garrett, you know who's, who's thinking that they're going to pay the price? Farmers in your old boss's state, Iowa, your f- former boss, not old boss. I'm not calling Chairman Grassley old for Never. the record. Never. <laughs> but go ahead. But are, are farmers concerned about how this trade kerf- kerfunkel is, is going to um, impact, impact the farmers? 
Absolutely, and I think, and I believe, didn't Grassley beat you in a push-up contest? No, back then? okay. For the record, I beat him, but it again, was close. don't bait me in here because I'll get way off topic. <laughs> farmers and trade go. So with uh, with farmers, I think it, it obviously is a concern. I mean, and I think even just American businesses in general. Obviously, the economy is doing really well right now, and I think the last thing the president needs. Uh, going into a re-election year and just for American people in general and businesses and farmers uh, is uh, a trade war. Uh, I think that these tariffs could obviously affect farmers and it's not going to be good for farmers, I don't believe. I mean, hearing Garrett Ventry, who's as conservative as they come, Capri, say that and to hear his previous boss, his former boss, Chairman Grassley, draw into conflict NAFTA 2.0 or USMCA because of these tariffs. I mean, it is remarkable this stark divide that exists within the Republican Party on trade. Well, it's not really a surprise, though. I mean, Donald Trump has really changed the trajectory of of the Republican Party because of his more populist views on things like trade. I mean, traditional establishment Republicans are are free traders and believe that uh, tariffs make goods more expensive for the American public and the American consumer. So, you know, I don't think that it is a surprise um, that there is this divide between, you know, within uh, the GOP as it stands right now, I think the, the question then becomes, you know, is it possible to get Democrats on board for some of these things? We've seen Chuck Schumer, for example, um, actually voice his support uh, for this, uh, for the, the tough uh, line in the sand that President Trump is drawing with uh, China on trade. You know, it was interesting to see how the White House reacted to this, Garrett, because President Trump, he was in the Gulf Coast today, uh, and he visited an energy facility in Louisiana, Sempra Energy. Uh, They're an energy exporter, and this is one of the aspects of the economy that uh, the president likes to talk about. Uh, But but he he broadened it to to what we were talking about uh, earlier. Uh, He broadened it even beyond the U.S.-China trade talks but also to other countries. Take a listen to what he said, President Trump, here he is. We don't need to be ripped off by the rest of the world either because those days are over. He says those days are over. They're not going to be ripped off anymore. But Garrett, when is the end in sight? When are they going to wrap up these trade deals? Well, he's got a meeting next month, I believe, at the G20 summit with the president of China. Osaka. Yeah. It's in so Osaka, think, Japan. Yeah, so I think that's a good. Uh, I think that's a good measure, and we'll we'll see from there. I know Mnuchin just, I believe, got back from China and had extensive talks as well. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, I mean, I think the the president being tough on China is good in a lot of regards when it comes to intellectual property theft uh, and trying to measure out fair trade deals. But at the end of the day, he's got to come to an agreement here that puts American workers first, and hopefully, we can evade uh, any further, uh, you know, potential. Right. Uh, re- retaliation tariffs here going forward. Well, and what we're seeing, you know, is from from China this list of of goods and that China is. Um placing tariffs on is extensive. It's not just the agricultural sector now. We're talking everything from shoes to electronics to cosmetics. I mean, it's pretty extensive. And I think, you know, pretty much everyone and everything looks like it's going to be impacted. And then these are 5 to 25 percent tariffs on on this extensive list of goods, which I believe is about 2,400, almost 2,500 goods um, that China is looking to place tariffs on. And you have to also take into account that there are some of these categories where these goods already have a 25% tariff placed upon them. So that means it's going to be even 
more on top of that. And it, it all comes out to the list that you just mentioned, that Capri just mentioned on the tariffs and, and who's paying for this. Senator Sherrod Brown, Democrat. My man. From, yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> your guy. Your guy. Uh, well, he, he had a lot to say about that earlier today, too. Here is Senator Sherrod Brown on, on who's paying for this. Here it is. It's another one of the Trump lies when he says China pays for this. American consumers are paying, American farmers are paying, American companies are paying, and especially American workers are paying. So that's the Democratic angle. But I, I and, and to, to be blunt, I mean, it's the, I, I should call it the anti-tariff angle, because I think that's also something that Garrett yeah. and, and Chuck Grassley, Senate Chairman Grassley, would agree with, uh, as well as others. Um, I, I was speaking with one conservative lawmaker today, House member, who was just going off about how they're hurting farmers and whatnot. But I, and they I think- still haven't received any of the – I mean, Trump had made a lot of promises about relief to the agricultural sector in the wave of the first round of tariffs, which we have not necessarily seen materialize. I think they're going to get another package, and I'm not sure that they want that, which is interesting because I don't necessarily think that conservatives want to be in a position, will they accept or not accept – A government handout. Coming up, we talk much more on U.S.-China trade policy. Plus, we get a preview of how Judge Kavanaugh, how will Judge Kavanaugh impact the 2020 presidential election? And Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, she's going to check in. Much more on trade panel stays. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I want to take a second to honor Alice Rivlin. She is the Fed chair, the Fed vice chair and deficit hawk. She passed away at the age of 88. She's also the founding director of the Congressional Budget Office and a relentless fighter for deficit reduction. Uh, she passed away. She was 88. Our thoughts and prayers uh, go out to uh, her friends, her family. Uh, and I will say this, anyone who, who works in financial services, no matter what you think on the issues, can't find anybody who said, I had a bad thing to say about Alice Rivlin. We're talking trade policy. And, we're, you know, in honor of Alice, we'll talk about how, how it will impact the trade deficit. Capri Cafaro is executive in residence at American University and former Democratic minority leader of the Ohio State Senate. Garrett Ventry is former spokesman to the Senate Judiciary Committee under uh, Chairman Chuck Grassley, a Republican from Iowa. I mean, when are Republicans going to start caring about the deficit again, Garrett? The deficit as far as the trade deficit or the deficit as far as the Wow. Deficit. See what he did there? Oh. Zing. Do we have like a zing KO in the control? Do we have like a zing button that we can do? You know, <laughs> but but from your perspective, but seriously, I mean, from it, it looks like it's a balancing act, trade deficit versus national deficit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's something that Republicans and Democrats should both care about uh, when it comes to the trade deficit. Uh, and like I said, I mean, getting back to what we were talking about with trade, I think it's very important Uh, when we're talking about these trade deals. When you look at other trade deals that have come up in the past, whether it's TPP or NAFTA, a lot of voters in 2016 voted for the president simply because they felt unsettled about a lot of trade deals in the past. And so I think a lot of voters went to the polls expecting him to to fix these trade deals. So I think going into the 2020 election, it's a big opportunity for him to try and levy the the playing field here to put America workers uh, first and to put a deal uh, that would 
honor American businesses so that they have a greater opportunity to compete. Yeah, there's no question that, you know, back in my neck of the woods in northeastern Ohio and in the industrial Midwest, so many uh, people that voted for Donald Trump in 2016, Democrats included that crossed over for him, really believed that he was the best answer to addressing things like the uh, the problems with NAFTA and uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, TPP, which, you know, President Obama and Hillary Clinton supported. And so there, there was this feeling that, uh, you know, he was going to, you know, finally actually act. Um, and things have occurred, um, like USMCA, and, and there's been movement, but I think the real question will be, will these things actually be ratified? And if they're not, who will Amer- the American people blame? Mm. Democrats in Congress or Trump? I want to pick up on that point, because did you guys hear this? Did you see this? Senator Richard Blumenthal, no fan of President Trump, but he's a Democrat from Connecticut. Uh, and, he, and he was asked about how it's impacting Connecticut. Oh, you know, I don't mean to make – trade impacts every state, even Connecticut. Yesterday we were hearing from Angus King, lobsters, price of lobster. I was at P.J. Clark's Maple. earlier, and I was like – the lobster bisque was their special. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder if it's more expensive because of what Senator King told me yesterday. Here's Senator Richard Blumenthal, Democrat from Connecticut, about how who's going to blame uh, Democrat? Who's to blame, Democrats or Republicans? Here he is. Donald Trump has bet the farm, other people's farms, and he has embarked on a dangerous course without an end game. I mean, it is creative wordplay, Garrett. He's Correct. bet the farm, yeah. right. other people's farms. But, peak Blumenthal. But, but I, I, do you agree with – have I found a rare area of agreement between you and Senator Richard Blumenthal? Well, I think part of it too is Democrats in the House don't really want to work with the president on getting a new NAFTA deal right now. There's not really a lot of agreement there. Now, my boss, my former boss, Chuck Grassley, obviously would rather have the president be working on this deal and then standing up to Trump on some other issues rather than tariffs on Mexico and Canada. Uh, but, no, I don't think it's necessarily betting the House. It's too early to say that, I think, at this point. There hasn't been a meeting between him and the president of China yet, so we'll see what happens there. And I think we can talk down the road what that looks like. But right now, the, all the president's measures on China, the economy, is still doing really well. Even last month, it's the lowest unemployment within 50 years and 263,000 jobs. But it hasn't rented. been felt all over the country, though. That's the thing. But, okay, but, but, okay, this is what I will say, Capri. To Garrett's point, I mean, when any economist, when you look at the trade numbers and what portion of the GDP that we're talking about, it's literally 0.1% GDP growth that is at jeopardy because of these trade deals now. Sure. That's a huge deal. And I never like to say, like, Oh, 0.1% isn't a big deal because it is a big deal when you're trying to go to Walmart and the price of your clothes is going up. Yeah, that, I mean, or that, you just avoid Walmart well, if you can and if you can afford but, that. Well, listen, I still, I mean, I shop at Walmart, I go to Target. But I, I think from a broader standpoint, ultimately, these small businesses in particular who are also donors are going to have to, they're going to have to, someone's going to have to listen to them. Coming up, we ask that question to Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, a Democrat from Michigan. She's going to join us on the phone line, and she's going to tell us what she thinks about how the trade policy is impacting the 2020 presidential election. Panel stays. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I am Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. 
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Love Keith Thurman, but breaking news tonight on the Bloomberg Terminal citing the New York Times, Donald Trump Jr. and the Republican-controlled Senate Intelligence Committee reaching a deal on Tuesday for the president's eldest son to sit for a private interview with senators in the coming weeks that will be limited in time. So it's going to be private. It's not going to be public. He's going to be testifying behind closed doors in a private interview with senators. This according to the New York Times headlines crossing the Bloomberg terminal as we speak. Let's get to it. Reaction from Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, a Democrat from Michigan, joining us on the phone. I want to talk trade policy, but your thoughts on this latest development with Donald Trump Jr.? Well, uh, I haven't been party to the conversations. I think it is good that the chair of a Republican committee is part of these discussions, part of these investigations. Uh, I think that as we move forward, this kind of oversight needs to be done in a bipartisan way. So I think it's significant that he's agreed to testify, and we'll see what the results are. All right. I want to ask you about trade. I mean, it has been remarkable all week just seeing how the trade, the policy debate has impacted uh, Wall Street traders and businesses and consumers. But but I, I want to ask you, how do you think it's going to affect the 2020 presidential race, especially in your backyard, uh, given that candidate Trump won Ohio? So, and Michigan, Canada I'm sorry. Trump yeah. won Michigan, too. Yeah. Michigan. <laughs> you know. oh, I'm, I'm staring know, at Capri Cafaro, who's from Ohio. I know you're from Michigan, Congressman. Okay. <laughs> it's all Midwest. You know, we all look alike. <laughs> That's <Midwesterners. right. laughs> um, I actually would I, – I, it's not clear to me right now. The fact of the matter is I predicted that President Trump could win Michigan when everybody thought it was crazy. And I may still be crazy, but he did win. And he won it on trade. Because we have a lot of workers here who are seeing closed plants, have been struggling to find jobs. There are people in their 50s, in their 60s, in their 70s, worried about what's going to happen to their pensions. And they saw their job ships overseas. And he talked to them. And he understood. And people in the Midwest have, I think, had this anxiety in their hearts and souls since the bankruptcy of the autos in the late um, you know, in 2008. So, you know, he's talking tough. NAFTA 2.0, I call it NAFTA 2.0, uh, it is something he's delivering on. It's not where I can yet support it, but we do. We don't have a level t- playing field with Mexico, and that's a problem. On the other hand, what's happening with China, uh, only in the last few days have you seen a discussion for consumers about it might increase its goods, but you've heard people on both sides of these tariffs. You know, it's hurt the farmers, the suppliers certainly where uh, I live are talking about what the impact is. 
but my steel workers who've looked at an empty steel plant for 25 years are cheering them. And I think my biggest problem with the way he's been doing this is the inconsistency, the up and downness of it, and we have no consistency whatsoever or a stable trade policy when we're talking about these tariffs, etc. That's such a great point because I, I think in terms of the certainty, the market's looking for certainty, and there just seems to be none. I mean, everyone's clinging to every tweet that the president puts out or every comment that he, that he makes on U.S.-China trade talks, but it, it 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 just seems like there's a lot of uncertainty. What is one thing that the president could quickly do, from your view, on the matter of trade that would provide some certainty? Well, again, we're talking about trade policy period for me has to give people a level playing field. So for I, I would be one of the people in the Congress that would help take the lead on a NAFTA 2.0 if he did address two points in the current, uh, the current, what the draft isn't the right word, but the agreement that they have now. One, we've got to do something about Mexico because the way that they enforce their new labor laws right now it has got to be made stronger because labor laws are weak in Mexico, so there's no backstop uh, to make sure Mexico's playing by the same rules that the companies and the workers in the U.S. are. And until that changes, it doesn't. any new trade agreement doesn't have the enforcement that we need it to have. And there are provisions in there that will increase the cost of uh, pharmaceuticals in this country. But I do think we need a new NAFTA. And we need a level playing field, so I would support that. China is a much more complicated subject. Um, it's, it's starting to have a real effect in the markets and consumers, as you know. But we are seeing our trade deficit with China going the wrong way um, and actually increasing since these tariffs were put in place, and it's now the largest it's ever been. So we have to really have a much more not a game of chicken when it comes to China, but figure this out. You know, when you're out, I mean, you know the auto sector better than anybody in Congress. When you're, when you're out at the auto plants, when you're out at the widget plants, and you're talking to members of your district, what, what do they make? Are, are, are they being a little bit more, are they, are they being having, giving President Trump a little bit more leeway in the negotiations than, than Wall Street traders are? Or are they growing a little bit concerned at the, at the, the trend of where trade talks are going? So, you know, it depends who you're talking to and where you are. But I actually, the there's a plant in Flat Rock, Michigan, which is a Ford plant. It makes the Mustangs. It's the plant that made me start saying to people two and a half years ago, Donald Trump could win. And they're still supporting the president. They think that he cares about them and that he's fighting for them. So, uh, yeah, they they do support him. It depends. You know, who you're talking to, the leadership certainly uh, knows that the new NAFTA 2.0 isn't strong enough. But you've got members who just want to know somebody cares about them. And quite frankly, in the Midwest, people are tired of this partisan bickering. They want to see us do something that's going to help them every day. They want to see us work for them and lower the cost of prescription drugs. They want to see us do these trade deals. They're going to protect their jobs and keep us on a level playing field. They want to see us. The, I was about to use a word I can't, but it's a phrase the government... <laughs> hey, you don't need to tell here. me. I, I almost use words that I can't use every second of my life. Go ahead, Congresswoman. It, well, it was, the, it was the campaign slogan for Gretchen Whitmer, fix the damn roads. That's what they want to see us do. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, Congresswoman I Debbie. I told her I hated it, but it got her elected. <laughs> <laughs> Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, a Democrat from Michigan's 12th Congressional District. I always appreciate I always say, people say there's no one who you can talk to in Congress who's refreshing anymore. There are members on both sides of the aisle. Congresswoman Debbie Dingell is one of them. Appreciate you calling in, my friend. Very Thank much you. appreciate it. Coming up, we switch gears. Geopolitics and the Supreme Court. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. It's only Tuesday, but we have gratitude. See the forest from the trees, and it's almost 2020. It's, it is 2020, actually. And there's this great story on Politico. Did you guys see it? Did you read it? Burgess Everett and Marion Levine. They wrote, headline is, 2020 Dems warn or warm to expanding the Supreme Court. I thought we got to get Mike in for this. Mike Davis, he is former chief counsel for the nominations of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Remember the Gorsuch and Kavanaugh nominations? Remember them? He was one of the architects behind the scenes on them. He's a senior, former senior advisor to Senate Judiciary Committee Chuck Grassley. And we're thrilled, thrilled to have him in. He's uh, a law clerk to Justice Gorsuch on the Supreme Court uh, and the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit. I'm baffled that this is in the, the, the rhetoric right now because this, to me, came out of left field. And granted, I'm not a SCOTUS reporter, but the idea of expanding the Supreme Court, I take it you disagree with it, but where does it even come from? Uh, it is a very crazy idea. The Supreme Court... The number of justices on the Supreme Court has not changed uh, in 150 years, since 1869. In 1937, President FDR attempted to pack the court with up to 15 justices, and that failed pretty spectacularly. This is coming from the far left of the Democrat Party. You have uh, groups out there like Demand Justice, and uh, what's behind this is they are losing badly on the judicial fight. Uh, President Trump has been very successful in appointing uh, very solid judges and justices to the, to the federal courts, and the Democrats are losing, and now they're trying to rewrite the rules because they, they are losing so badly. We are, on a, we are on the verge of a crisis of confidence in the Supreme Court. We have to take this challenge head on, and everything is on the table to do that. That was Democratic presidential candidate Senator Kamala Harris, a Democrat from California, when asked by Politico about whether she would be in favor of expanding the Supreme Court. I hear you, Mike, but I got to disagree in the sense when you say that it's a fringe issue, when Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris is in fringe of the Democratic Party. Yeah, I mean, there are three Democrats out of the 10 on the Senate Judiciary Committee who are running for president. Kamala Harris, wow. Kirsten, excuse me, uh, Booker. Uh, B- Booker and um, Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar. It's having like Rick Perry vibes. Remember that debate when like he couldn't name the three? <laughs> Sorry. So, yeah, I, I, uh, so there are, there, they, it is a race to the left because they're just trying to appease these far left extremists. Uh, because it's such a crowded field. All right. With us in studio also is Garrett Ventry. He's also worked on the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, for Chairman Grassley. And Capri Cafaro, a Democrat. Uh, she's the youngest Democrat state senator 
our Senate Minority Leader in the Ohio State Legislature, and she's an executive in residence at American University. Finally brought us food because she's also a, a great chef. But as a Democrat, as our Democrat on the panel, what do you make of, of your party talking about expanding the Supreme Court? Um, I think this is woefully misguided. Uh, you know, look, elections have consequences. Um, I was not a huge Hillary Clinton fan, but I voted for Hillary Clinton because of my concerns about uh, appointments to federal judge, to federal courts, federal benches, whether it's uh, the Supreme Court or uh, lower appellate courts. Um, you know, so uh, this is what happens when you lose. The president gets to to appoint these judges, and the same thing goes with the, the ridiculous concept that we should uh, eliminate the electoral college. It exists for a reason. It's an it's an equalizer for our electorate, and we need to mo- grow up, move on, and focus on things like the fact that President Trump is talking about making you know chained CPI for and and changing. Wow, chained CPI gets a, ch- a shout out on. on <laughs> oh, I'm gonna go. Yeah. I would go off. We are wonky. Chance. We are wonky. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with her. I mean, if you look at what Senator Dianne Feinstein, the top Democrat on the Senate Judiciary Committee, has said, she does not want to pack the court. So she's uh, the adult in the room over there for the Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee. I never thought I would he- see the day where one of the architects of Kavanaugh's confirmation praises Dianne Feinstein. Only on sound off, folks. I tell you, you can't make it up. Go ahead, Mike. I didn't mean to interrupt. And, and uh, the min- Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer has uh, been hiding because, you know, he, he gets scared of these far-left groups who attack him, but he clearly has to think that this is a crazy idea, but he just doesn't want to say. What are some of the upcoming cases from a business perspective on antitrust, on other business-related issues, right-to-work laws, union laws, that are that are coming up before the court and, and give us a preview. Well, you know, we just had a big ruling that came out of the Supreme Court. Uh, Justice Kavanaugh cited with the four justices who tend to vote uh, more to the left or liberal, uh, holding that plaintiffs can can sue Apple under un- antitrust laws for the sale of apps through uh, the Apple uh, iTunes store. Or yeah, whatever the App Store. The App Store. So I it, take it you got a Droid. <laughs> I, I, actually, I have an iPhone. I, I, I have mean, an iPhone too. <laughs> I'm just not very tech savvy. I, so uh, you know, I would just say this: that it's just it's um, it's hard to predict how justices will rule, especially justices in their first you know first couple of years on the bench. Uh, but there's there's a legitimate disagreement between you know Justice Kavanaugh on this antitrust issue and the you know the four other justices in the dissent who tend to vote conservatively. I, so I could I could wonk out over antitrust cases also any day. I think they're they're fascinating. All right, I don't want to relitigate the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings, but just given that you did have this. Uh, window into it and that no one else had an advantage point on it that no one else had Uh, again uh, i don't want to relitigate it at all i covered it but what 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 is something that that sticks out on that process in the night before the vote take us back to the behind the scenes the night before the vote that was going on when it was really really unknown on the night before he testified, rather, the night before he testified, just how that testimony would go. It gripped the nation. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it was uh, I mean, it was shocking, frankly, that what the Democrats did to a Supreme Court nominee. You had a uh, sitting judge on the D.C. Court of Appeals, the second most important court in the country. He served honorably for 12 years on that court, 
This is a, uh, a guy who went through six full-field background investigations over, over a 25-year I don't period. mean to interrupt you, but I'm going to. But take us behind the scenes. Like, I, I, I don't want to relitigate. Where was everybody, like, the night before that hearing? Was everybody huddled in, like, a, in like a boardroom going over the, going over the confirmation pro- or the, the hearing process? Or was every like, what, what was it like? Just get, like, the color of it. I mean, we were working late. Yeah. Like, we had been working late. Just about every, actually every night during the confirmation, yeah. um, we had a phone call uh, as part of uh, Justice Kavanaugh's background investigation, going over the allegations that have, that were uh, being th- thrown at him. Um, there were more allegations coming in that ended up being completely bogus, and uh, we had a phone call with him with the 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 um, which is the normal course. Yeah, and we asked him about these allegations. All right, you know what we're going to do? We're going to hold that thought. Uh, because we're gonna, we're, you're going to stick around, and we're, we have this extra on Apple iTunes called Sound On Extra. We're going to get more behind the scenes on the confirmation proceedings. And, and Caprika Farr knows a thing or two about the window into this, by the way, because folks outside of Washington, especially if they're listening in, they think that it just happens on the fly. I mean, whether it's Michael Cohen or Judge Kavanaugh, these things are a process. We'll have that more. But I do want to give the final word uh, to Mike Davis, who has been so generous with his time with us, when you look at the right-to-work laws and union laws in particular, and we're staring down the 2020 presidential, are there any glaring cases that come up in terms of union workers and, and whatnot? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not familiar with okay. what's no before worries. the court right now. Uh, Capri, what about you? Where do, the, where do the unions stand as we head into this? I mean, they're, they're front and center with trade and Sure. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, uh, the AFL-CIO, uh, Richard Trumka, is still saying that, you know, they want more out of USMCA. And as far as the Supreme Court is concerned, I know that the more recent ruling within the last, I don't think it was this session, but last session in regards to union dues was a very big deal um, for uh, for for the labor community. All right. I want to thank Garrett Ventry, our resident Republican for the hour. His first time. Garrett, how, how was it? It was great, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Would you ever come back? Absolutely. All right. We appreciate that. And Capri Cafaro, who's uh, always a friend of the program, uh, for an executive in residence at American University and working on a book. And I can't wait for the book to come out, Capri. It's a, I don't want to – I will stop talking, but I'm excited okay. for the book. Uh, and, me of course, I'm Mike Davis. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.